Chapter 4. Scatomancy Bob summoned the young seer who had advised him before his fateful boat trip. Zeba once more stood before the compact emperor. He figured that telling the Great One that he was doomed to failure would not be a good career move. Since his performance that morning, he had been treated differently. The two aged seers had been supplanted. Zeba had taken a risk, and it had paid off. Never mind that it was done out of a mix of boredom, fatality and indifference, it had produced results. It was taken that he had powers, that he could see into the future, and the attention that young Bob lavished upon him had brought rewards. Already he had women who, previously out of his league, were keen to cook for him or meet him in secret at the beach or had something to show him in their tent. And he had acquired new clothes and rich tastes in wine and foreign cheeses that had never before been considered. It had been a big day. I have prayed, your greatness, began Zeba. Bob looked serious and nodded. Zeba continued, I have meditated and seeked visions with the gods. He wasn't sure if seeked was a real word, but figuring he'd got away with it, he continued. He was in too deep now. And what did they reveal? Are the gods angry with me? Are we too late? demanded Bob. The sun had started to turn a deep orange, and it was clear that building a causeway a quarter of a mile long was going to be quite some undertaking, and not something accomplished in a day. Oh, no, uh, no, 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 my lord, on the contrary. It is the city of Troy that angers them, answered the new seer to the emperor. Their impertinence has spread shockwaves through the heavens. Zeba spread his arms out, waving them across the sky. Bob didn't look convinced. Zeba had to think fast. Guts. Would that convince the Great One? Slaughtering an animal always seemed to impress. However, he had been specifically told, not half an hour earlier, that they could afford no more sheep, pig or goat killings. There was an army of 50,000 to feed. Plus the women and children, the merchants, the caterers, the medical staff, the priests and more. Zeba sighed. Maybe the game was up. Or maybe it wasn't. He heard a bleating not too far away amidst the maelstrom of activity in the middle of the camp. Perhaps he could indulge his passion and assuage Bob's need for omens. Come, my lord, beckoned Zeba, and led Bob towards the sound of the bleating. Bob dismissed two captains who were waiting beside him and followed the newly promoted seer. They came to a small enclosure of goats. Zeba climbed over the makeshift fence. The goat's owner was about to object, but he saw the young emperor keenly following the progress of the gate crusher, so backed off. Zeba looked down for a second and then spied out what he'd come for. Look, my emperor, he cried. Bob looked. He was looking at a steaming pile of goat poo. He frowned and looked up. And? My lord, the future is foretold in the droppings of these animals. It has been ever thus for centuries, nay, millennia. In my homeland, the greatest of the prophets always consult this way. This way? Scatomancy, my lord. Bob rubbed his chin. Go on, he mumbled. Look, sire, uh, see here. Zeba poked at the pile with a long piece of straw. There is one main pile, but... These here have broken off, three pieces. 
They represent your current situation. See how one lump has created a bridge between the two. This is you conquering the sea, making a causeway to try. Bob nodded. And, uh, and what do they say of our efforts? Success, my lord. The main pile is the success. It is solid, intact. You will not lose any men in your endeavours. None. Well, um, Zeba thought he'd overstretched himself a bit there. Hard to be specific, Lord, but definitely an insignificant amount. Good, good, nodded Bob. Zeba sighed a deep sigh of relief, deeper than the most obscure of poems. During the exchange, he had realised two things. One, he knew diddly about scatomancy, and two, he had a talent for improvisation. Bob began to bark, not literally like a dog. He gave out orders. He gave them out loudly and sharply and ensured they were carried to the farthest corners of the vast campsite that his army occupied. The efforts on the causeway were to double. One last small boat managed to leave Try before the siege began and the occupants were surrounded. Chapter 5. The Causeway it took almost five months to build the causeway. This sounds like a long time, but back then Bob's empire measured each month by the ovulation cycle of a goat. The particular goat they had chosen for this task, Meredith, was no ordinary goat. Normally one would expect a month to be around 21 days, but Meredith seemed to be in a hurry and her cycle lasted 16 days at most. One particular month was only 11 days long. Her keeper blamed it on the strange diet she had to endure in these foreign lands. For Bob, it was four and a half months too long. The strain was showing. His temples bulged with stress. He sweated profusely and his voice was hoarse from shouting. The causeway, however, was impressive. Everything and anything had been thrown into the sea in front of the humongous campsite that housed the greatest army the known world had ever known. Pebbles, stones, worn-out clothes, broken cutlery, unfixable tables, cooking pots, dead animals, food remains, holy relics from conquered lands, people who had displeased Bob. They all went in, gradually piling on top of the seabed until the waves were parted. On and on, for almost a quarter of a mile. Bob's navy patrolled around the island of Troy to ensure that no one left or that no one or any supplies entered. However, Troy, on the far western edge of the continent, was a great hub, a merchant's paradise. They had supplies coming out of their ears and could have easily lasted many more months, even if Meredith's internal system started working properly. The day arrived when the final few things had been flung into the last water between the causeway and the first rocks in front of the great gate of the city of Troy. For months Bob had had to endure being looked down upon by the citizens of Troy. They had peered over the ramparts, smiling, waving, teasing. Occasionally one or two of them would throw down a few chicken bones to help Bob's lot with their walkway. Bob fumed, his temples bulging ever redder. 
It was late afternoon. It was mild, almost warm. The all-conquering one stood on the beach and admired his handiwork. Yes, it wasn't actually him who had built it, but he would always refer to it by saying, that causeway I built. His men and slaves had built it, ergo he had built it. It wasn't pretty, but it was certainly impressive. Walking upon it was quite an experience. In one step it crunched, in the next it squelched. There was even one point on the far side on the left that squeaked. No one knew why, and no one admitted to being responsible for it. Bob turned to the massed ranks of his army who waited expectantly. They too were an impressive sight. They had dressed for this occasion, having polished their weapons and shields and lit many torches. We will proceed to the other side, said Bob to the VIPs at the front. A few began to step forward, but then thought again and stood their ground. Their leader had taken to referring to himself in the third person recently, so they couldn't be sure exactly what he meant. Luckily, he clarified. Myself, General Jenikos, Cedric the Spokesman and my seer shall proceed to the other side to offer them one final chance to surrender. Hopefully they won't and we shall attack and slaughter them all. A cheer arose from those closest to them. It spread in a small ripple. He didn't have a very loud voice and the vast majority of the 50,000 didn't know whether to join him with the cheer as they didn't know what it was about. In fact, to be honest, about 48,000 of them were completely incognizant of the whole cheering matter. But we digress. Where exactly is my seer? demanded Bob. Oh, here, my lord, called out Zeba, panting and appearing from the crowd. He'd just been taking advantage of his popularity with a couple of young ladies from the far north that Bob had conquered the previous year. They were short ladies, somewhat stocky, but what they lacked in height they more than made up for in... But we digress. Ah, the Scatamanter arrives, declared the Great One. Zeba Badoop, said Zeba, trying to remind Bob of his name. Yes, Scatman. Come, you have foretold of this moment. Come with me, walk on my left, Genikos on my right. Let us meet destiny. Um, began Zeba nervously. He didn't fancy the idea of walking across the sea to face a whole city. Confrontation wasn't his thing. But he was poked in the back and shoved forward by a fierce-looking captain of the army, so he had no choice. Confrontation it was then. Chapter 6 Ella the Perfect Fifth Ella the Perfect Fifth woke from her afternoon nap. Afternoon naps were very important in Troy. They still are, all these many centuries later. The people of Troy had always done things differently. For a start, they had always prided themselves on never having been conquered. As mayoress, Ella had no intention of letting this honourable tradition slide. Her faithful assistant, June, brought her a hot mug of tea. Tea was something so special and nice that they had decided not to trade any of it with the mainland. As a consequence, they had a lot of it. Not even 70-something days of siege had dented their store. Ella slurped confidently. 
The slurping showed appreciation of the tea, and June smiled sweetly at the positive gesture of thanks. A woman and a man entered the room. The woman was middle-aged and very efficient-looking. The man was older and looked like he'd missed his afternoon nap. Ah, number two, what news? asked Ella, sitting up on her simple bed, mug in hand. They have amassed on the shore of the beach. They are armed. Looks like their leader is talking to them. Number two stood up straight, as if to attention, which wasn't very try-like behaviour. Ella hoped she wouldn't be chosen as mayoress at the year-end. Mind you, the position was chosen at random from all women who had passed the exam, so there was a chance that the number two could actually be selected as mayoress. The fact that Ella had been randomly selected consecutively proved this point. Still, no one complained. Ella was popular and things were generally going well. Just the small matter of the largest army ever known in the known world having amassed in front of them and having removed the natural barrier of the sea between them and the mainland. But Ella was a planner. Ella took one more swig of tea. It had come a long way and it was very tasty and very exclusive. She stood up. Right, preparations. How are they? Everything in place? Yes, ma'am, answered number two efficiently. Emergency protocol Freddy Freeloader has been activated. Ella nodded. She looked at the older man inquiringly. Um, oh, uh, yes, he mumbled. Good, said Ella. Few things to do and then let's go meet and greet. Oh, uh, yes, everyone got their tea rations? Yes, ma'am. Young Bob and his entourage proceeded across the causeway, squelching, crunching and squishing until they reached the end. Zeba squeaked. Jenikos looked across disprovingly, but Zeba shrugged. He hadn't been able to help it. It was something he'd stepped on. He shuffled uncomfortably. Squeak! Zeba tried to find the cause of the noise by stamping on the improvised ground beneath him. Squeak! Squeak! Stop squeaking! barked Jenikos. The noise had alerted someone at the top of the wall above the gate. Unfortunately for the invaders, it was Terry, known as Terry the Taunter, the same man who had teased them on their first visit to try. Unknown to the visitors below, Terry had withered legs. He was fond of spending time on the ramparts and volunteered for lookout duty as much as possible, getting up and down by means of a bucket and pulley system that used a large stone as a counterweight. The stone weighed exactly what he did, so he was able to pull himself up and down with ease. For most others, it was easier and quicker to use the stairs. Since her room was near the top of the northern tower, Ella made her way to the wall above the front gate, walking briskly along the narrow alleyways of the city's ramparts. By the time she reached the front, on the east, she realised she was too late. Terry had got to the visitors before her, and there was a small crowd of onlookers. Terry couldn't help himself. He only wished that Bob's army was directly behind the squat emperor. It had begun with the usual proclamation from Cedric. His greatness, the emperor Bob, demands that now you surrender. This is your final... Yes, yes, blimey, don't you give it a rest, mate. I reckon you've got louder since we met, interjected Terry. Oh, the gods of the high seas, it's that same idiot from before, noted Jenikos. Bob drew his sword. 
Oh, he's got a sword, shrieked Terry in mock terror. What are you going to do? Charge the walls? By the way, very well done on your little bridge. Good effort. Mind you, there's a little bit there that squeaks. Terry pointed at Zebra. No, don't move, called out Jen across too late. Squeak, went Zebra again, squinting in embarrassment. There were cackles of laughter from above. You shall burn for this. I shall hang your bodies from the towers for all to see. I shall, began Bob. But again, Terry interrupted. Hey, you are, sorry, you're still too quiet. I mean, they call you the great, don't they? You think you'd be, he was about to say taller. If he had, it's likely that everything would have turned out very differently. The next pages would have been filled with the direst descriptions of death and destruction, blood and bile, fire and fury. Fortunately, Ella arrived on the scene and pulled Terry and her city back from the brink. Those below suddenly saw the head of the provocateur disappear unceremoniously. There were brief muffled sounds of angry voices similar to that of a maths teacher admonishing an underachieving child for not handing their homework in for the third time running. A new face appeared over the wall, a female one, smiling. Hello, called out Ella, waving. The only response from below was a shy wave from Zeba. From afar, the two regarded each other. Ella, nearing the end of her second term as mayoress, was getting lonely, the burden of power weighing heavily upon her. She was, in all honesty, looking forward to being a normal citizen again and being able to socialise normally. In short, she wanted a boyfriend. Nothing serious, just one to see her through for a bit. From afar, the waver looked nice, if a little young. She recomposed herself. Hi, uh, I'm Ella. Ella the perfect fifth, in fact. I am mayoress of Tri. Bob and company scratched their heads. What she was saying sounded positive, friendly even, but they couldn't quite make out the words. Ella got the gist. She had to get down. I'm coming down, she called as loudly as she could. Ah, she's coming down, echoed Cedric to the others. Yep, got that, said Bob, impatiently toying with his sword. Ella turned round. And don't you say another bloody word, she hissed at Terry, adding, and I'm using your bucket thing. Terry looked on forlornly as Ella marched over to the hole that contained the elevator system. She sat down in the container. It didn't budge. Of course, she thought. She was too light. Give me that child, she commanded to the group of onlookers. Um, began the mother of the young girl. Now, urged the mayoress. The young girl bolted forward, actually looking forward to the ride. Ella was, in fact, a friendly person, just one in a big rush. The girl enjoyed her ride down, and it was something she was able to use as an anecdote for the rest of her life. A small hatch on the front gate opened. A smiling female face peered out. It's her, pointed out Cedric. I'm going to chop her head off, roared Bob. He'd been waiting too long and he wanted blood. Zeba didn't like the sound of that, but he did like the look of the face at the door, especially when he caught sight of her eyes looking at him. Uh, my lord, he interjected, thinking quickly. Methought I did have a vision about this very moment. Bob stopped waving his sword and turned to his seer. 
I heard a, a voice sing your praises as the man who conquered try. It was a dream just before sunrise, when the sky was full of coloured light behind the clouds. But there was one ray of light that burst through the clouds and into the voice of one woman. This voice seems like the one before us now. I believe she is the vessel to our victory. The gods want her to live. This is how they will deliver the city to you. What? No blood? No fire? Sire, Lord, if you want your men to live and the gods to love you, then let this woman live. Let her speak. Ella hadn't heard it all, but she did see that the young tall man had somehow placated the short angry man with the sword. The four of them proceeded across the rocky and squeakless path to the front gate. Ella remained behind the protection of the great gate and the faced-sized hatch, as the one she rightly guessed was Bob was still fiddling with his sword, and he did have a reputation. Good evening, chaps, she began. We've come for one thing only, started Bob. Ella guessed he wasn't going to say a refreshing drink or to borrow a cup of sugar. Your total and utter surrender, said Bob predictably. Oh, remarked Ella, convincingly feigning surprise. Uh, no need, honestly, chaps, no need for that. See, you can come in. In fact, you're invited. Huh? managed Bob. Yes, well, I mean, you've gone to such spectacular and frankly unprecedented effort to get here. We thought it only right for you to have you round for dinner. In fact, what the hell? Stay over. While Bob, Jenikos and Cedric exchanged bemused looks, she winked at Zeba, who beamed back. My lord, he entreated his master, do you not see now? She is offering us the city. Just as I said, no bloodshed. Bob nodded slowly and looked up again at Ella, who smiled sweetly back. Come in for dinner? asked Bob. Ella nodded. Yes, she replied. Not just you. Why don't you bring your friends too? All of that lot on the other side of your lovely new bridge causeway thing. Bring the women and kids too. We've got a lot of food saved up and it'll just go to waste. You're just asking us in? checked Bob. All of us? Yes, of course, smiled Ella. More the merrier. To be honest, it's been a bit dull recently being locked in here. Couldn't wait for you to come over. Here, let me get this gate opened. She shut the hatch and called out some orders. The enormous wood and metal doors swung slowly open. Zeba felt the doors suck some of the outside air in past him. The opening revealed a scene that none of the forward party could have ever predicted. Stood before Bob and his entourage were hundreds of people holding plates piled high with food. They called out, hi, and waved. A banner emerged, saying, Welcome, Bob. Bob was befuddled. This had never happened before. Not remotely. Not ever, never. Certainly, there had been cities that he had taken without a battle. With his reputation going before him, many places had surrendered without even being asked. The consequences of refusing the marauding emperor or trying to fight him off were terrifying. But, faced with this counter-attack of friendliness, he found himself with no choice. 
Cedric, go and get the others, he commanded. Thank you.